Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. It's hard to believe that we are approaching the end of the book of Nehemiah we're going to have today and then next week, and then we will go from that into our Christmas mode and Christmas messages. But uh, today we are looking at the fact that rebuilding requires dedication. Last week we saw Nehemiah and his leadership and the people commit to placing God as their primary authority for daily living. This was evidenced in a signed declaration of their faith. Commitment is proven in the way that we give our dedication, the way we live out our lives. And many in today's church are quick to make commitments, but are far more hesitant to live them out in their daily lives. What if the people in the church actually lived out the commitments that they said that they have? And just as Nehemiah needed dedicated people to live by their commitment to God, our world needs the same today. Believing and willing to rebuild the work of God through dedicated living. Y'all seen what's happening in the news today and every day things are going crazy. Uh, government is trying to overreach and tell us what morality is and what morality isn't. And uh, that is no no slam on anybody that is on either, either side of that issue. But I know this, I was just saying, what in the world can you say about that? And all I can say is I know what God's word says. I know what God has told me to say, and I'm going to share it with love as much as possible. We are going to love people that are on the side of our issues, and we're going to love the people that are off the side of our issues. We're going to love the Democrats. We're going to love the Republicans. We're going to love those and share them Jesus, all the while, never compromising. Folks, this is the authority. There is no executive order. There is no declaration. There is no movement that trumps God's word. And that can be shared. That is not a hate speech. That is me just sharing in love as a pastor and as a Christian. I am going to lead you to whatever you hear in the news, whatever you see in your social media feeds. Filter it through this, okay? And with that said, we need to live. The reason this world is going crazy is because we are not living out the difference that the Lord has called us to do. So with that uh, commercial, let's jump right into the passage today. We're going to be looking, first of all, at Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And we see that rebuilding requires dedicated people. That's a a. a a basic. If you're going to do dedicated work, you need people that are dedicated to that, right? It's like the old saying, you've got too many, um, too many bosses and not enough people to do things. Sometimes, uh, it says here, at Nehemiah says, the leaders of the people in verse one were living in Jerusalem, the holy city, and a tenth of the people from the other towns of Judah and Benjamin were chosen by sacred lots to live there while the rest stayed where they were. And the people commended everyone who volunteered to resettle Jerusalem. Can you imagine this draft, so to speak? Jerusalem needed people. That's why Nehemiah knew that. And I know this is a simple concept, but it's the truth. Jerusalem needed people. Since the days of our childhood, every invite started with, well, Who's going to be there? I remember at a as a youth pastor when we were trying to get groups and kids to sign up 
for events and retreats and all that kind of stuff, the very first question is not how can the Lord use me or or what is our calling? The first question is who's going? And then I'll decide whether I'm going to go or not. But the truth of the matter is I've seen not only in student ministry, I've seen in the church what happens when one or two people get dedicated and they start being excited about what happens and they bring their friends in. It is amazing to see what happens. But God rebuilt the walls. He rebuilt the people. And now it's time to fill in the walls. So since the walls were rebuilt from on their original footings, I want you to understand the city was huge. It's almost like if we were to take this room right here, and if I know that God only works in the back five pews, I understand that. Uh, uh, I think it was Alan last week that told Donna, boy, they really like to sit in the back, don't they? I said, yeah, they do. They're Baptists. But, but if we were to take this room and we were to squeeze it down into about ten rows, we would look packed. Now, preacher, don't you even think about closing rows. I'm not going to do that. I know God only speaks in that seat and that pew. But all joking aside, it looks, if you shrink the room, it looks like there's more people. If you have a large room, it looks like there's less people. Well, it looked like there was nobody there in Jerusalem. They had rebuilt everything and they had people there, but they needed to fill it up. Well, you know, Tony Evans says that his church adopted a local apartment complex He said we needed to get someone to invade the premises, exert a godly influence, and duplicate themselves. Consistent with the example presented here, nine people who didn't go were tasked with the support of the one who did. In other words, they asked people to go to this apartment complex. Nehemiah is saying, okay, do I have any volunteers? That would be like if I said right now, do I have any volunteers to pray out loud? I see everybody go, like that. Nobody likes to, to, to pray in public. They don't like to speak. I look, I understand that. But if I were to say, okay, we're going to start a new church and I need about 10 of you to, to leave and go to that. Ooh, boy. That wouldn't go well. Better yet, back in the days of Sunday school growth and all that kind of stuff, they taught, uh, they taught, they used to teach in seminary. If you have a Sunday school class that's big, split it up. How do you think that goes? Not too good. Because people want their people, their time, their way. So we learned you don't split Sunday school classes. You just start new ones. You get a couple of people that are willing to start a new one. And people start to follow. And so the bottom line is they needed people in here. And so even though some did not want to leave their homes for Jerusalem, their dedication to God moved them to do so. From this morning's text, it seems that many did not want to move away from the hometowns into the newly rebuilt city. Some volunteered, while others were drafted by what they call sacred lots. If you want to know what sacred lots are, basically they were small stones or pieces of wood. They were a lot like dice, and they were shaken. And then when they were thrown on the ground, that would be the answer that they felt like God was trying to say. But... This was not something that was out of the question. Normally, populations were transferred forcefully from one rural settlement to the other. So let's let's get some real world application here, because I feel like we've been way up here. Let's bring it down to the people. Right. Why did the Jewish settlers not want to move back to Jerusalem? They had gone to all these different places. Why did they not want to pack up their U-Haul and go? And it would be the same reason why you wouldn't want 
to uproot and leave. Some of you, you have built your beautiful homes and you don't plan on getting out of your home until you leave in a box, right? That is your, I mean, that is your place. You're not leaving. But these people, again, this was the work of God. They were having to reestablish Jerusalem. So first of all, why did the Jewish settlers not want to move? Jerusalem was outside of their comfort zone. They'd have been investing money and time in these new places. Uh, the non-Jews thought the religious Jews were too rigid because of their beliefs, and they would often exclude them from conducting business. So they were afraid if they were to go into this town, they might not be able to be as prosperous. They were comfortable where they were at. The second thing, moving to the newly rebuilt city meant they had to start over. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, as someone who has had to start over, that stinks. Reestablishing yourself, building a new home, a new life, a new social network. I remember years ago, I was uprooted from Virginia while I was in middle school, sixth grade, the worst grade anybody can ever be in, right? Sixth grade was awful. Maybe it's just my experience. But I went from Chesterfield, Virginia, which was right outside of Richmond, to Lyman, South Carolina. And I couldn't even know, I didn't even know at that age that it even existed. But we, we moved there. We had to uproot. I was taken out of school. And we had to start over. And when I went to the school, I could coast for about a year and a half because they had not yet covered things that I had already covered. We didn't have a choice though, right? If we wanted to eat, if, if our dad wanted work, we had to, uh, to go. So dad went to where the job sent him. And if we had not moved, the truth of the matter is, I'll tell you what, if my dad had decided, you know what, I'm not going to move, we're going to do something else, I wouldn't be here today. Because God used that move. God used those things to, to, to mold me and to bring me to where I am. I wouldn't be celebrating 30 years of my beautiful bride on Monday. I wouldn't be able to be the pastor of Holman Park Baptist Church because I didn't want to start over. It was uncomfortable, but yet God is calling these people. He's saying, trust me, I'm drafting you through Nehemiah. I'm drafting you to come in and be a part of this. We see also that there were higher expectations to live a God-honoring life. Those living in Jerusalem would be in a culture that expected stronger obedience to God's word because they were living so close to the temple. It's kind of like the difference between going to a private Christian school and a public school. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, just because they have a mission statement that says they are a Christian school does not mean that there are not non-Christian things going there, going on there among the people. Just because it says it's Baptist or Presbyterian or whatever, it does not mean that everybody there has got the same intent. Just as if it is a public school, it doesn't mean that everybody is hellions and there's not an opportunity for Christians to have an impact on that place. But the, the thought is, if I go to a Christian school, what? I have to act like a Christian. So this was them saying, look, if I go back to the mother home, if I go back inside the walls, I'm gonna, I can't do the things there that I'm doing right now. So there was that thing of, I don't know if I want to live under those higher expectations. The third thing is, is they were, um, seeking God's organization, verse three. Notice it says in verse three, here's a list of names, a provincial, 
officials who came to live in Jerusalem. Most of the people were priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants among servants continued to live in their homes in the various towns of Judah. What we see here, basically, is that God gave Nehemiah a plan. He gave them a plan, and he helped them to organize the neighborhoods and the people. Just like, believe it or not, guys and gals, men and women, God has a plan for you, whether you are 8 or 80. God has a plan for you as a husband, as a wife, as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend, as a grandmother, as a grandfather, as a leader, as a teacher. God has a plan for us just as he had for them. And if you don't believe me, I've shown you, I believe, two verses up here that uh, if you can't see it, the first one is 1 Corinthians 14.33 that says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, all as... As in all the meetings of God's holy people. Folks, if there is confusion, that means that there are things that people are doing that are not according to God's will. Because where God is, there is peace. It does not mean that it's going to be absent of conflict. But it just means even in the midst of conflict, there will be peace to know that you're doing what God has called you to do. The second thing is, is in 1 Corinthians 14.40, it says, But be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Folks, let me just go ahead and tell you this. You cannot have a life filled with chaos and say, Okay, God, bless it. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't meet us on our terms. We don't manipulate God. We can't say, okay, God, this is my plan for right now, and this is what I'm going to do, so I want to see you make it happen. When's the last time God's ever worked in your life like that? He hasn't worked in mine like that. We cannot bring God our chaos and expect everything to be ordered. Now, I'll tell you what, if you bring God your chaos and you yield to him and you yield to his word and you bring your bunch of broken toys and you lay them at his feet and you give him the access to take those things and to remove the things from your life that you don't need that are hurting you and to piece back together the things and the people that you do need in your life, that's a different story because you're giving God your will. Your will is becoming his will. And so the dedicated transplants, again, they needed people in Jerusalem. So the tenth of of people in all of these cities, they came in and they came back to the main city and they were making an impact. Some of you, in the recent years, you have come back to this church, and it has made a difference. I tell people all the time how blessed we are. We are not any better than any other church, but I'm telling you what, God is doing things here. Uh, God is has got people here of all ages, and we are grateful for that because it takes People, people want to go where people are. And if if people are coming to Homeland Park Baptist Church, to to get something out of it as far as like make sure we have this program and this and that and the other, then people are going to be sorely disappointed. But if you come to Homeland, Baptist, Homeland Park Baptist Church to find a place that is in the middle of a community that is thriving and people are looking to serve the Lord, then this is the place. It has amazed me to see how God has used you all here. It's an opportunity to connect with God and others. It's an opportunity to serve. It's an opportunity to have an impact on a hurting community where, quite frankly, others fear to tread. I love it when they say, 
Hey, preacher, where do you preach at? Holman Park. They go, oh. Oh. And, you know, I just feel bad for them because I, I don't I don't have that same feeling that they have when I hear that. Because I guess I've been here long enough to understand is that uh, there is an honesty. There is a, a resilience. There is the people of Homeland Park. And even those that have moved out but yet are still being a part of our church. We're seeing this not as a relic to hold on to, but an opportunity to do ministry in a hurting place. And it's been so exciting. I've talked with other pastors and other churches and said, hey, we would love to come to your church and do something for the community. So God is beginning to use this place as a launching pad to see ministry happen in our community. It's an opportunity to see God work through you in ways you've never dreamed of. But to seize these opportunities, we need people. We need numbers. We need seats in seats, so to speak. People who are dedicated to God's word and willing to work here in Homeland Park. There is no plans in anywhere you can find that we have talked about or even want to think about moving our campus. We're not going to move our campus. We're going to stay here as long as the Lord allows because this is where God had planted us ever since Miss Francis ministered to Tin Town right behind our church in that activity field where there was nothing but ten shacks. And she was ministering to people and they were having Sunday school classes in the grass because they didn't have a building to meet. And that's what we came from. And that's what we need to get back to. The second thing we see is that God's kingdom agenda must become your focus. We see this in verses 27 through 43. Of chapter 12. And as I say focus, I'm going to remind you of something. Do you remember this? This was from Nehemiah 6 verse 3. What is focus? Focus is discernment plus determination equals focus. We have preached and talked about discernment. We have talked in the previous messages about determination. And now we're seeing how they come together for this kingdom focus that these people had. It said in verse 27 of chapter 12, we've gone a whole chapter. So I know y'all were thinking, is he going to read all these names? No, I'm not going to read the names. We're going to go on to chapter 12. And it says in verse 27, for the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem, the Levites, which were the priest helpers throughout the land, were asked to come to Jerusalem to assist in the ceremonies. They were to take part in the joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgivings with music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers were brought together from the region around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Neophytes. They also came from Beth Gilgal and the rural areas of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built their own settlements around Jerusalem. The priests and Levites first purified themselves then purified the people, the gates, and the walls. I, I tell you what, I used to love, especially when I was younger, I used to love to go hear bands play. And I was that kid that me and my friends, we would be the first one in line, try to get there, push to the front, because it was general mission. You didn't have Ticketmaster back then and all these other things. And then after the show, you go find where the buses are, and you hang out and you try to get an autograph, talk to them or something like that. But it's just something, as you go to these things, like if you've ever gone to, uh, it used to be the Bible Center, what was it now? Bon Secours. 
You go to Bon Secours, all these big places. Like I remember a couple of years ago, we went to go see Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Woo! What a show. I mean, they must have had 20 semi-trucks parked, filled with stuff. You get in there and you see all this stuff, and you know that when you see all these semi-trucks, you see all this equipment and all these people, you're walking in saying, boy, that's exciting. And so what we see here is that all these people have come that have led in worship, that have now come home to lead worship right here. And we are looking for, we are begging, we are praying for people. Find a cymbal, find a lyre, find a guitar, find a drum, find a kazoo, whatever you can find. Come in. And let's praise the Lord and be excited about it. Because where people are excited, that is where people want to be. And it says in verse 31, Nehemiah led the leaders of Judah to the top of the wall and organized two large choirs and give thanks. Yes, Nehemiah put in the work to organize the choirs. Their purpose was not to perform and to get accolades. Their their only purpose was to give thanks. Let me ask you something. Would you sing more if you knew your only goal was to give thanks to God? When we sing a shout to the Lord or where we sing a hymn that we don't normally sing, and when we're doing these things, are we thinking, okay, let's sing so we can get to the sermon? Are we singing to give thanks to God for what He has done for us and to be able to, to shout to the Lord or say how great thou art or to thank him for his amazing grace. So we see as we continue to read through there that there was a south side choir that basically they, it says that they, uh, one of the choirs proceeded southward along the top of the wall to the dung gate. Well, I'll just go and tell you they drew the short straw on that one. Uh, if you remember back where we talked about the gates, uh, they, they got the, the less scenic route. So you had the south side choir, and then you had the north side choir. We see in verses 35 through 37, it says that they came, they, then came some priests who played trumpets, including Zechariah, son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Matana, son of Micaiah, son of Zechur, a descendant of Asaph, and, and Zechariah's colleagues were, yeah, so they used the musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra the scribe led these possessions. Folks, they sounded the trumpet. What is significant about them sounding the trumpet? It is this, that once they sounded the trumpet many times ago, if you go back and you look at Nehemiah chapter 4, this is how far God has brought him. Nehemiah chapter 4, God said, look, we are under attack. There are people that want to hurt us. There are, they, it was so bad that they would have a weapon in one hand and their building uh, tool in another. And so they had to build, but yet defend at the same time. And if they heard the trumpet sound, they were to stop everything that they were doing and go to where they heard the trumpet sounding and fight. But isn't it great they never had to do that? Because God fought for them. So the first time they hear the trumpet sound, it is in worship of God to give thanks to Him. And then we see later in verse 40, the two choirs became one. And they had a dedicated celebration of God's work, which brings joy. It says in verse 43 that 
Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration, and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard from far away. That was proof that God's kingdom agenda must be your focus. Folks, if all of us get on track with God's agenda rather than our own, there will be celebration. They were dedicated people focused on God for their success. If you want heaven to intervene in your earthly circumstances, you must make God's kingdom agenda your main focus. If you want God to be a part of your life, if you want to bring things under his order, he has got to be the focus of your life. Now, let me ask you something. If God is the focus of your life, if if I say that God is the main focus of my life, do you think my wife would be upset that I didn't say her? Or that my dog would be upset that I didn't say him? Or y'all wouldn't would be upset because well he should say the church, he's the pastor. You are not my main focus. I love every one of you. You are not my main focus. And I love my wife with all of my heart, and I would give my life for her. But she's not my main focus. My main focus is doing the work of God, and if that is my main focus, I'm going to love her like God loves me. If I love God first and make him my focus, I'm going to love you as a pastor as God loves me. If you, as a husband or a father, Or a grandparent, love God first. Can you imagine the love that you are sharing to your children? That not only do they see that that you're great, but they see that God is great as well. If you want to have, if you want heaven to intervene in your earthly circumstances, you must make God's, your kingdom agenda and focus. The third point is that main point is that rebuilding requires people dedicated to the mission of the church. Look at verses 44 through 47 of chapter 12. On that day, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the offerings, the first part of the harvest and the tithes. They were responsible to collect from the fields outside the towns the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites, for all the people of Judah took joy in the priests and Levites and their work. Folks, when the people of God got right with God, it reprioritized everything for them. You read it right. It brought joy to the people to contribute their offerings to support the work of God. I've seen it in other churches. I haven't seen it here. It may happen, but if it is, then then that's up to God. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, so just hear me out for a second. I have heard, and I've, I've had friends that have been in churches to where if there was a family or a group of people that didn't like what the preacher was doing, they would withhold their tithes. Boy, that'll show them. No, it doesn't. And look, if you're one of those people that are withholding your tithes because you don't agree with what God is doing here, that's between you and the Lord. But I'll tell you this much. When people are on the same mission, the gifts, the service, and all of that stuff becomes secondary because we are all working towards the same goal. Rebuilding requires people dedicated to the mission 
of the church. If you go back and you look at those friends I was talking about, those other churches, some of some of my friends actually had to leave the church they were at because they were starved out, quite literally, from preaching there. But I can't tell you that the after effects of that church was great. And the, But the friends that I know of, they went on to do great things. God protects his servants. God looks over his servants. And God looks over his churches and his people that place him at the center of their mission. It was a day here of consecration where holy things were set apart for the Levites, speaking about um, separating things just for God's use. And then it says in verse 45, they performed the service of their God and the service of purification as commanded by David and his son Solomon. And so did the singers and the gatekeepers. Now, I'm going to meddle here for just a minute. I'm going to step on my own toes and I hope that it steps on your toes. But if we want to be dedicated people of God. We need to be set apart to use Him. And as we see in verse 45, being set apart to be used by God means that you and I are pure. Being pure before God was important to them. That is something that has been lost on today's church. I'll go ahead and tell you now, If let's say that Don and I stopped somewhere for breakfast and I was lucky enough to have some biscuits and gravy. That would have been awesome, but I don't try to eat that much anymore. But let's say I had a big old plate of biscuit and gravy. And I come in here, and I had an oopsie, which I normally do, and I had gravy all up and down my shirt. People, I'll preach here. You've got, you've got some gravy on your shirt. Donald would say, you need to change that shirt. Right? <laughs> I don't work this hard to make you look that good for you to come in here with biscuit gravy all over your shirt. Of course I would change. Of course, of course I would be like, well, I better, better not. You ain't walking into this chair with biscuit gravy on all over your sweater. But you know what? <laughs> it's not, you want know, to, you want to make sure you look good in front of people. You don't want to have biscuit gravy all over your shirt. But I'll tell you what, there are many people that are walking into churches every day, and it may be you, and it may be me, but we walk in, and we've got our souls are stained with sin. You can't see the biscuit gravy on the shirt, but we hide it well. But the reason today's church, when I say today's church, I mean as a whole, are in the shape that we are in is because nobody is taking being pure before God seriously. And I will go ahead and tell you that there is no way you and your own strength can be pure in front of God. That is why you and I, we need Jesus Christ to do that. We need the blood of Jesus Christ to not only forgive us for our sins, the one time where we have the big conversion, but it is a daily process, minute by process, minute by minute process. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not fell as in one time. It's not like, oh, you know, I was a backslider, but Jesus saved me and everything's been perfect. No, it is not the way it happens. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in Romans 7, look, I want to do what's right, but every time I try to do what's right, there's another Law or nature with inside of me, my sinful nature keeps me from doing right. I, I, I try to do what's right, but, but doggone it, I do it wrong again. But then he realized that although he struggled with that sin, that Jesus forgave him. His blood was forgiven. 
it forgave his sin once and for all. You are pure before God because Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins. And if you're not pure right now, all it takes is praying, God, forgive me of this sin. Get the biscuit gravy off of my shirt. Get the sin out of my life. I confess that and I'm going to turn from it and do my best not to do it again. That's called God's grace. That's called God's mercy. The people who left their homes to go to Jerusalem, their dedication paid off. God's people dedicated themselves to God and the holy city, and it became the central hub of a renewed nation, strengthened by God once again. You know, from the moment God gave Nehemiah the burden to rebuild the city, God was always already working in the lives of those people that were getting ready to move into the city. There is a desperate need today for dedicated people. There is a desperate need for dedicated people. Too many Christians are trying to live in two kingdoms. God's will versus my will. God's will versus my will. You could not serve God and serve the world at the same time, my friends. We have a desperate need for people who will put God's kingdom first. Because, look, you and I as believers, we must impact this wayward world. What can you do in a world that has lost control? You don't like what's going on in our government? You don't like the fact that your representative won? You don't like the fact that your representative lost? You don't like the fact that, that what's going on with, with the blue party, the red party, the yellow party, whatever it is, if you think that your social media is just filled with junk and you just look at this world and you think it's going to hell in the handbasket, how do you stop it? Well, preacher, there's nothing I can do. This says otherwise. If you, as God's dedicated follower of Jesus Christ, lives a life in front of people that shows that dedication, it will make a difference. I mean, Jesus changed the world with 12 people. What do you think God could do with the people in this room? The world is not a lost cause. It's not time for you to retire spiritually. The battle is raging. It's on us. And we can do our part by living a dedicated life before him. That's what helped Jerusalem, and that's what will help Holman Park. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for your word. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you show us that it's about living a dedicated life, Lord. And we all deal with needing to to be pure before you, Lord, whether it's for the first time or the next time. And dear Heavenly Father, we, we kind of think sometimes, Lord, as chaos as this as chaotic as this world is, what can we do, Lord? But just encourage these people today that Lord, if we take our faith seriously, take your word seriously, and jump into where you are working, Lord, we can see it make a difference. We have people here that want to make a difference. We have people here that are making a difference. But if this message has kind of pricked the hearts of somebody that that they may say, well, you know what, that, that pure thing really hit me. I would say this, we're going to have a moment of invitation. If you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins when he died on the cross and shed his blood to cover those sins, And you want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt today that you are a Christian. I'm just going to ask you to come talk with me 
as we sing our hymn of invitation. We will pray and we will make that rock solid. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe it's to join the church. Whatever it may be, may this decision be used for your glory, God. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. <music>